today we have industry expert Paul Ruber, Global C-Level CPaaS Executive and CEO at Global Point View Limited. Heads in the Cloud with your hosts, David Portnowitz, John Roth, and Frederick Weiss. Welcome to Heads in the Cloud. I am Frederick Weiss. And I'm John Roth. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We have another great episode with a very special guest. We have industry expert Paul Ruber, Global C-Level CPaaS Executive and CEO at Global Point View Limited. Welcome to the show, Paul. Appreciate you uh, joining us. Thanks for the invitation, and it's great to be here, Frederick, and, and, and to meet and listen to both of you today. Oh, thank you so much. Speaking of podcasts and shows, you I did see a video that you did recently that I thought was very uh, interesting. And I, I kind of had the feeling like you, you might be taking that to a, a, a podcast platform as well. I think you do uh, really well. Well, thank you. That happened to be um, put on by what's called the Mobile Ecosystem Forum, which I'm a participant and a member of. It's a trade association in the mobile services space. Mm -hmm. And uh, most recently, I've done two, which was an examination of the ripple effects of uh, mergers and acquisitions in the communications platform as a service space, the CPaaS space. Well, you were, you were kind of a rock star. I, I'm reading through this, what I read about you so far, and uh, you've you've uh, led quite a life. I'm amazed. I think that take these top tech companies to a billion dollars, and you being uh, helping along with the process of that. Tell us more about how you you know grew it from a startup zero to a billion dollar valuation. How, how do you do that? I mean, that's that? that's very gracious of you to say, John. I, I very much appreciate it, but I also want to point out that I was just one of a member of a team that was all pulling in the boat as we were rowing through these opportunities that we saw and being able to pivot. But um, yeah, you know, the reality of any of these types of exercises when you start seeing a leader who might have been able to have an effect on a market uh, or even a country, if you will, it's often characterized by people looking back as being one person, um, as though it was that was their history, you know, the man on the white horse, if you will. But in reality, it's more written like a play where there are a number of different characters that come in and out of the play surrounding that one person. And that was for me as well. I have, I'm first off, the opportunity was, as you were pointing out, a company called InfoMatch. And I came in as a, uh, the guy to, who was, who was assigned to essentially see if we could globalize the business. And I had a number of conversations with a venture capital firm who was sponsoring and funding the company, as well as sitting down with the board and pointing out to them that um, this particular opportunity in telecommunications required a going global from the start mentality and basis, and then laid out what that opportunity looked like in terms of knock-on effects, if you will. Um, there's a an element, and this was, you know, what was the service? The service was all about text messaging. Now you and everyone else um, take, take for granted the impact of text messaging on our lives, but the reality is that there are very few economic units that are measured on an annualized basis that create teens of trillions of output. And that's exactly the case with text messaging, SMS as we all know it. Um, on average, there are about 18 trillion messages sent globally every year. 
and the dynamic of that then creates a number of different knock-on effects. Uh, there's a there's a theorem, and I know that you have a background in telecommunications. You're very familiar with network effects and probably Moore's law, which everyone hears about the speed and the adoption of, of, of um, chip dynamics. Well, the same thing applies in the mobile space, which is what's called Metcalfe's law. And that's essentially the value of a telecommunications network is proportional to the square of the number of connected users of that network. So in simple terms, two telephone connections make only one connection, but five make 10, 12 make 66, and 100 make 4,950. So by the time that you're talking about the telecommunications network around the world that has now billions of connections, that's essentially the effect of Metcalfe's law. And I came in essentially pointing out that with text messaging, the opportunity was going to be more than just the United States, which was our domestic market, and pointed out to the uh, the board that there were over 1,100 mobile network operators all around the world. And they were going to be very keen to be able to have interconnectivity, as it's called in the business, um, with these American operators who did not have text messaging as part of their native architecture. Uh, and what we're talking about, the bits and bytes here, is the difference between GSM radio formats and the non-GSM radio formats, as they were called back then. And this is 2G. Mind, mind you, today we are now moving into 5G and exploring 6G, so it was some time ago. And um, the reality was that because we were opening up this market utilizing a digital connection, i.e. IP connectivity, um, that would be a, a great opportunity for the other operators around the world to be able to send text messages to the likes of Verizon's customers or AT&T Blue customers, as well as, uh, uh, let's see, Nextel, which also is a different radio format back then. So they hadn't really been thinking about that. So I opened up an opportunity for them that, and broadened their mindset and their perspective just because of that. Now, let me point out, this was not some great epiphany, some stroke of genius. I was just stealing the same ideas that I had already applied in a job that I held for AT&T then, where I was the international roaming director. And what does an international roaming director do? Well, he or she negotiates all the B2B contracts, both commercial and technological, amongst all and between all of the other GSM mobile network operators around the world. And I got into this space very early. Uh, I was uh, brought in to do business development, got recruited for an opportunity in business development for one of the first GSM operators in North America. And I got doubly lucky because the footprint that we operated in was in California, Nevada. And um, you may not know this, but California and Nevada have like the top five tourist and commercial travel destinations in the United States. So everybody wanted to have interconnectivity with this company, which was then called Pacific Bell Mobile Services. We got acquired by SBC. We got rebranded as Singular, and then eventually today it's known as AT&T Wireless. Gotcha. Let me ask you a question. There was something that I, I, I caught in just doing some research on you. You actually hold two U.S. tech patents. What are those? What are those yeah. patents on? Well, you know, I. <laughs> 
You're really going deep here. Um, next, you're going to ask me. <laughs> I once was asked. Oh, you don't come <laughs> on here without deep, dark questions. Indeed, these, um, these are messaging patents. Am I correct? Yes, they are. Um, I was once asked, "What's on your resume doesn't fit with your uh, experience?" And I would have to say, "Well, I've got an undergraduate degree in political science and a graduate degree in public administration, and yet I have um, I'm the co-author." of two patents uh, that deal with SMS interoperability. So back to training and experience because of being in a startup, one of the things that you're always looking for is being able to, to drive intellectual property so that it becomes valued and add, it becomes accretive to your overall asset value relative to either being acquired or doing an IPO. So we were always out looking for these kind of things. I have an understanding of the technology, which is pretty good for a layman, for a commercial guy, as I've been characterized before. Um, and so myself and two other guys who were just essentially kicking around ideas, one says to, well, okay, we have the different standards for Europe, for the GSM world, and the different standards for North America called ANSI. Um, how do we interconnect those two? And so myself and another guy who was the uh, technologist, we started sitting down and started breaking down both the commercial elements of this solution as well as the technical elements. And um, my boss decided, yeah, we should patent this. And in the end, by the time that we actually sold the company, um, we had, I believe, like seven or eight different patents that were part of the valuation of the company. So. That's that's fascinating. Thanks I, I for asking, though. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I think that goes back to um, some of your history, which is you are a, a cross-border negotiator, a Harvard grad, a business degree, from my understanding. Is that correct? Well, I split my, my coursework between Harvard Business School and the Kennedy School of Government. Oh, uh, it's one of those epiphany, epiphanies of the first week where it was, I should have gone to the business school. I sat down with my advisor. He's like, you're not the first one who's come to this conclusion. <laughs> and um, so we then structured the program that I could split my time between the Kennedy School and the business school. But the degree is actually conferred um, by the Kennedy School of Government. But So, so then, don't hold it against me that I went to Harvard, please. So that helps me get into the next part of my question, which is you also were a federal trade lobbyist and a White House advisor. Uh, so, yeah. I, I mean, I'd, yeah. I'd, love, uh, I'd love for you to go into that a little bit. Sure, I've had the privilege of having two, uh, I will say remarkable careers, um, not because of any achievement of mine, but just having the opportunity to be involved in, in, these, um, in these organizations and be around the people that I've had the privilege of being around. Um, I, uh, True to my original roots of a political science major, uh, I got rejected by the Central Intelligence Agency for a job uh, when I was trying to get out, well, when I was getting out of college. And um, during the trip to Washington, I fell in love with the city and realized that that's what I was going to do. So I packed up my bags after I got graduated and then ended up moving to Washington, D.C., right out of college. And I was very lucky um, that I got an offer from a U.S. Senator named John C. Danforth, who is a Republican. And ironically, he happened to be the brother of the chancellor of the university that I attended, named Washington University in St. Louis. 
Now I've done sufficient plugs for both my academic credentials. Um, and uh, I had the opportunity to get into that. And as a result, I then spent the next 12 years uh, with a career arc that included essentially looking at economic and uh, economic development policy for Senator Danforth, as well as for a senator named Phil Graham from Texas, and uh, then pivoted into other opportunities because I thought I was going to make a long-term career of that space and um, ran political campaigns. So I got trained by the Republican National Committee to help run political campaigns. Uh, and as a result of those political campaigns, got the opportunity to network and meet some very interesting people. One of them offered me a job at the Labor Department. Um, this was the Secretary of Labor at the time, a guy named Bill Brock. And um, that was essentially not planned, um, but that was my first foray into a presidential administration. And that's when I decided, well, okay, I think I'll go to graduate school. Jumped out of, out of that, went to graduate school in Boston. And while I was up there, I was asked to, it's like the mafia, by the way. I mean, once you're in, you're always in, you'll never get out. <laughs> it seems so. Yeah, and uh, as a result of being in Boston in 1988, in the fall of 1988, there happened to be a guy um, who was running for president. His name is George Herbert Walker Bush. And um, as is reflected by the Bush organization back then, and the networking that went on, um, I got a call from a state senator who asked me if I'd be interested and willing to help um, on the campaign. And I had to ask him, okay, so where'd you get my, my name, et cetera? He goes, well, two places, the Republican National Committee because of your campaign work and the training that we invested in you three years ago. It's like, oh yeah, sure, I remember. Now I see that. And he was like, yeah, but I also know that you were a volunteer for the Bush campaign while you were in grad, while you were an undergraduate at Washington University in St. Louis, and I'm like, you mean in 1980 you've got records going that back, far back? He goes, well, of course we do. <laughs> I'm sure they have records so going back a lot further you. than that. Yeah. Um, now, to be honest, I happened to be working with a guy named Bucky Bush at the time, who was the president of a bank in St. Louis called Boatman's Bank. Bucky Bush was George Herbert Walker Bush's brother. So, um, uh -huh. you know, you, that was, again, who planned that? Uh, I didn't. So along the way, I started recognizing while I was in, um, an undergraduate, I thought I was going to be getting out of, of the whole political uh, dynamic and um, got an offer I couldn't refuse and ended up working for a cabinet secretary named Jack Kemp, um, doing, again, economic policy development for him as a legislative director and then worked for Jack and finally got out of the business. Took a little while, but that's how I landed in the telecommunications world. Uh, at that time, um, they were hiring for talent, not necessarily for experience, because in the United States, we didn't really have these mobile network operators that were using GSM radio format. So they were looking for people who were agile and capable, regardless of what they might be doing. And I ended up um, lucky enough in a space that turned into a cultural and historical phenomenon, which is what we're dealing with today. I heard recently that... Um, you know, Coca-Cola always talks about that they want to have a Coke within reach of every human being, right? Um, well, with telecommunications, there are more phones available within the reach of a human being than there is fresh water or toilets in the world, which just shows goes to show wow. how predominant 
telecommunications, untethered telecommunications, as I call it, because that's really what wireless or mobile is, um, and how profound an impact it has had uh, on humanity. Now, you've also had successful White House administrations. So the administrations, I'm assuming that's during the Bush administration. Was that yeah, I got, Bushes? Yeah, I got secund what's called seconded it into the White House meeting. I wasn't a, what's called a commissioned officer to the president, um, but I was there for about six months doing legislative work on a particular piece that I was an expert in called Enterprise Zones. Okay. Was it uh, and, and was it both bushes or just the uh, no just just forty one just the father forty one okay. yeah by the time that George W Bush became president um, I was already I had exited the political sphere and um, was plying my trade in the private sector although I, I met Governor Bush and before that even when he was just you know uh, the son of George Herbert Walker Bush on a couple of occasions. Do you have any uh, aspirations to get back into some kind of uh, political realm? No, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I'll give you some a little bit more exposure. Um, you know, my father had run for Congress when I was a very young child, about six years old. And uh, that kind of led me to a comfort level. And ironically, I went to college thinking I was going to be a pre-med, go off to medical school and um, about two years in realized that wasn't going to be the case as well as getting a better sense of myself and what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I then started thinking about that. But to be honest, um, once I started working for a guy like Jack Danforth, who was an extraordinary individual, uh, he's still alive and eventually he, the, he became the uh, UN ambassador or the US ambassador to the United Nations under George W. Bush's uh, administration. I think he was the last one under W's administration. Um, but Jack was a very extraordinary guy in the sense that he was a tax lawyer, former attorney general for the state of Missouri, but he was also an Episcopal priest. So our perspective on, and, you know, we characterized ourselves as being squish Republicans um, because we like to get things done. And that's how I looked at it. And with the polarization of politics such that it is, especially over the last four to six years, and you can just extrapolate from there. Um, that's not an area that I, I would have, uh, I don't think I'd be able to make any type of contribution anymore, so. Understood, I gotcha. Yeah, All right, well, why don't, we, uh, why don't we jump to a different subject, customer engagement and telecom trends and um, CPAS trends, right? So sure. what is your perspective on telecommunications megatrends, if you will, around customer engagement conversational commerce and CPAS in the US and maybe Europe, China, and, and globally? So let me start off with a, a very basic um, definition of what CPAS is all about. So this is a blending of different types of communication uh, platforms that we all utilize today kind of separately. And the notion behind all this is that because of, again, convenience to the consumer. This is my bias, the lens that I look through. Um, <clears throat> there's great opportunity, both on a commercial basis, as well as a communication basis, uh, meaning convenience for, for consumers, to be able to blend these various platforms together. And what are these platforms? We, we already already use voice as a predominant 
platform that we communicate with. And then after that, you'd be looking at text messaging, SMS, or just messaging, however you want to characterize it. Now with the advent of the pandemic, just as we are doing a Zoom call, video is encroaching into that space. But then you also have other variations or variants of messaging, which are these called, these are called OTT, standing for over the top, meaning they are communicating with consumers from their data or their computer capabilities, their internet presence, and they are utilizing that to go over the top of the mobile network operators, as they're called. Um, and so who are those OTT players? You know, everybody understands who they might be, but they include WhatsApp or Viber or Facebook messaging or Apple Business Chat um, or WeChat or Kakao or Line, depending on where your, your listeners are from. Those last three are all foreign in this foreign from a U.S. perspective in China, Japan and Korea. Uh, then you also have push messaging that's app-based on your mobile phone, as well as traditional email. And then now you also have artificial intelligence or chatbot capabilities. So the notion here is that these CPaaS providers are now combining these various platforms together so that whether you want to engage, let's say, United Airlines on an inquiry about your, the status of your flight, and you might make a telephone call. Let's say you're, you know, a boomer in the middle of the road boomer in the context of you'd rather have that voice. You want to talk to some person. But alternatively, if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, you're less likely to be wanting to use that voice call. And instead, you're engaging via text. And that text could be an OTT solution or alternatively, it could be an in-app push solution. It all depends. So from the enterprise side, they want to be able to have a platform that is going to be fully integrated or unified, as it's been called in the past. And so this business opportunity is essentially how enterprises, small or large, you know, micro to macro, can better communicate with their customer base and provide more engaged uh, applications and use cases for their consumers. Now, we just talked about one which was an alert or notification about the status of a flight. Um, it could be something that is a what's called a two-factor authentication, which is a text exchange between you and, let's say, Facebook, where you're about to make a purchase. And they want to make sure that they are verifying that you are the actual end user as opposed to being a fraud. Or conversely, the opposite can be that you're not being you as a consumer. You want to check that it's actually Facebook that you're communicating with. So all these various types of use cases are now exploding. And the platform providers, the CPaaS providers, some are very well known. Um, there's one called Twilio, which has been a darling of the uh, stock market from their inception, that they've gone from uh, a startup, which was around now nine, 10 years or so, to about a $60 billion market cap. And then there are others that are now emerging, but in fact have a better solution on the connectivity side. So the network that is created. Now you guys being having telco backgrounds, you have an understanding of these networks. A good way of describing it is that you've got the roads that were built by the, um, uh, the CPAS providers. And now you've also got the guys who are delivering the packages. And the packages guys are the ones who are coming up with the various types of software or application solutions 
that will give you a sense of where is the package on the road at the specific time. So in the CPaaS world, that translates into the mobile network operators, so the guys who've actually built out this infrastructure for the delivery of these messages, which are the packages. And then the guys like Twilio, or alternatively even, or Facebook, or alternatively the enterprises themselves who've developed various types of applications, the software solutions that allow you to have a better benefit because of the nature of their specialization, their understanding of their own consumer, et cetera. So that's kind of the structure of the CPaaS world. Um, that's how it works, you know, as a, as a metaphor of reality of hard goods versus digital goods. And then the other aspect of this is the telecommunication space continues to grow. And in fact, the CPAS space, Arthur D. Little estimates that the growth of this segment of telecommunications is going to be around 28% compound annual growth rate for the next three years. And the CPAS space itself right now is estimated to be about a $15 billion market globally to grow to about a $51 billion market. And the last piece in all this, what we're talking about, these types of messages are characterized as application to person, which is another way of saying computer to person messaging or enterprise messaging as another um, definition of this. And um, one analyst called mobilesquared.co.uk, the actual analyst, his name is Nick Lane, Nick has done some research that shows only about 4% of the world's registered businesses utilize messaging as part of their interaction with their customers, their consumers, their end users. Surprising. Yes. So we've got a market scale that has an upward, you know, a potential growth of it, let's give it 10% of total businesses, or let's say they're off, okay? You know, they could be off by maybe it's 6%, okay? So if it's only 6%, we've got tremendous uplift in the opportunity, which is why I look at this as being a very significant telecommunications megatrend. What, what would you is see that, are then the opportunities for the future? The, like maybe unforeseen opportunities? Well, the unforeseen stuff is, you know, if uh, if that would be the case, I, I wouldn't be sharing with you in a public <laughs> forum. I'd be trying to figure <laughs> that one out myself. Um, but, you know, the reality is that, for example, um, back to as a practitioner, you know, once, once upon a time, uh, I was the senior vice president of sales and marketing for a, a well-known uh, messaging provider, uh, which is now part of a publicly traded company called Cinch. And so I broke that, my segmentation of my sales efforts around 12 different vectors. And one is the OTT that we talked about. The other is financial services. Another was logistics. Uh, another was travel and leisure. Uh, another was telcos, which is mobile network operators. Um, the automotive space, not necessarily autonomous automobiles, but in reality, things like uh, service bays and the, the various types of service providers associated with the various automotive brands all around the world or in the United States. Um, insurance, the Internet of Things, IoT, which can be incorporated right now as utilities, oil and gas, 
and it's very basic in terms of exchanging messaging, but incorporate then to, let's say, the public sphere, which is education um, and government, and last, customer experience, which is the biggest play here. So, you know, you can look at these various segments and start looking at various types of um, use cases that are specialized to them. And so, you know, the, the entire panorama of opportunities open up to you. One of the things I think is going to be just around the corner is essentially identification verification. And this goes beyond just um, the uh, two-factor authentication that I was talking about earlier. And that is also wrapped around data, data functionality. Um, you know, but the reality is that, you know, messaging in my view is past, present, and future relative to the CPaaS space. And granted, I have a bias having had a career in that space, but uh, I don't see any other indicators that would prove me wrong, especially given the fact that, as I say, voice minutes are going downward because of the change in behavior of the different cohorts. Um, and these other spaces, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Um, even today, it, making it a connection on a wireless voice connection is not always 100%. It's not the old wireline experience that we've shared of dial tone reliability that I was trained in early on. Um, and I, I got to say, John, I know the listeners don't see this, but I love the fact that you've got this phone booth label <laughs> behind you, man. <laughs> oh my God, even better. Yeah, that's like the old the the old telephone repairmen used to have those yeah. you know lashed to their belts i remember those things it's, you know what i could pull over any any country road in, in in florida where i live go to a pedestal i could plug in yeah I could dial out and i could get out so yeah we, we still got the older technology that's that's just truly amazing and i again you know i couldn't tell you how all that works on the technological basis but i certainly have a respect for the uh the development of the space um just as a well, side what, john know, have you ever seen three days of the condor i have not no oh. <laughs> okay you I gotta go see down. that the robert redford film from like 1974 75 it's a great flick it's a spy flick but um it covers so much of what we're talking about. Here's yeah. a guy who's a reader of information and his cell gets gets essentially murdered and they thought they were going to be taking him out because of the things that they were reading about on behalf of the Central Intelligence Agency. Well, it turns out that he was in the telecommunications core. He breaks into a PBX. He then starts <laughs> making telephone calls. Um, and, and there's a scene in there where they're trying to trace him. And he has set up essentially these closed links that show that he's like on 30 different mobile, 30 different uh, telephone booths all across Manhattan. That's but funny. it's a great yeah. film. Check that I'll, out. I'll check that out. I, I, you know, I was going to ask you a question, but I think it's, it's, you, you, you already are there. I mean, what do you feel the, this, we're going to be like in five years from now? I think you've covered that. So I'm going to change the question from, you know, what do you perceive in five years, how we're going to be communicating, but let's go out a little bit. What do you perceive being a visionary that you are, what it's going to look like 
in 50 years. Oh, wow. I mean, I, you know, no, I have to say. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're, you're putting a label on me that I, I don't ascribe to. I don't, I don't consider myself a visionary. I'm, uh, you know, my, literally my operating cycles are like 18 months to at best three years. I was once asked to do a 10 year business case in 1997 on the mobile, um, you know, in, in terms of messaging, and this was voice messaging, FYI, not text messaging. And I told my boss, I'm like, we don't even know what we're doing three months out. You want me to do 10 year out? That's crazy. Uh, so we adjusted that to a three year. And, and you predicted model. the iPhone. Exactly. Well, and, yeah. Think about it. Think about yeah. It now. 15 uh, years out. I mean, we're, we're talking about Star Trek stuff here. Right? Yeah. I mean, we're going to be talking about probably the point of basically we could probably be able to travel in a very short space period of time from one spectrum to the other, one end of the earth to the I'll other. Take a, I'll take a run at that. Okay, um, go ahead. I, I, I think, yeah. yeah, so I'll, I'll give you how I think about things. Um, you know, I read a great book by Daniel Pink once, and it was talking in a segment of it. He's talking about um, combinatorial thinking. And it's essentially, don't look at one piece, you got to look at the entire orchestra, if you will. And so that's how I look at these types of problems and try to integrate all the various elements. So right now we're going through another fundamental shift in how people communicate. There's also a fundamental shift in how we work. Uh, and the reality is that, you know, in the immediate near future, which let's say can be six months to maybe two years out, if we even get a, a, a command over the pandemic, most of us are going to be working from home for the next three to five days out of every week, let's say three years out or whatever. Who knows if we'll ever return to the status quo ante or the norm as we used to call it. So I think that there's going to be more functionality and let's say bigger screening that you may have a room in your home that has a wall that's completely uh, digitalized and you walk into it and you are essentially in a virtual office. And um, secondarily to that or knock on effect, I'm not sure which might be leading this, is um, again, with mobile telephony, we're gonna have to really work on the quality of the networks though, um, just in terms of coverage, but with each additional generation of, of mobile telecommunications, we get faster speeds, better functionality. Now we're talking about low earth orbit satellites as being part of the wide area network, which is the telecommunication space that we talk about when you think about Verizon or AT&T or Vodafone or China Mobile or whoever it might be. So that device is gonna be kind of akin to, you know, you were talking about Star Trek. I'd probably even go to Star Wars in the context of you put a device down and all of a sudden you have a hologram image of you being in your office and somebody else might be untethered, uh, whether they're in their car or whether they're, you know, climbing Yosemite uh, or wherever they might be. Uh, I've got a very good friend who literally moved from London to um, Western Africa. And he did that because the time zones were very similar, but he did it mostly because he was in a uh, villa on the beach for the last five months. <laughs> And he could, you know, he was all of like 28 years old and that's yeah. what he, he went off and did. So that that untethered quality that I was speaking about when I think about mobile telecommunications is going to get geometrically expanded or accelerated. That's how I would look at it. Okay. 
Now I have a couple of questions for you. We're at the end of our show. This is the time where we have a little bit of fun. I don't know if you listen to some of our podcasts. I have. Okay, so here we go. You ready? Your first question. We have two questions for you today. What is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, really the waste of time. You know, again, going back to my training, I, I was once instructed by a guy named Lee Atwater that there are five aspects to a political campaign. Time, money, people, talent, and will. And when I got into the telecommunication space, I recognized that there was one other factor, which is technology. All those things that I talked about can be manufactured. Even will can be manufactured. You know, you can get down to the depths of your soul and to decide, I am going to do this. And that's what will is all about. But you cannot manufacture time. True. I think that's fascinating. I, I, I just... Uh... Sports, I think, is sports when it comes to that. Baseball. That's right. Baseball is a timeless game. Oh, it's yeah, right. the only sports we have out there that is really, is, there's no clock on, you know, when you bust in that game. With well, I would agree, but then I'd also expand your, your vision a little bit farther. Cricket, same rules. Okay. You can play cricket for three days. <laughs> okay, good, good point. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to relate back to... Uh, George W., I saw him on one of the uh, 911 over the weekend. and He was in Shanksville, yeah, that, giving a speech. When he, uh, he went to the mound, threw a strike. Oh. That first time when they opened up uh, Yankee Stadium. And I was just like, I don't know, it was, it was uh, very emotional to, to watch that. And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. And, I, and the, the second question, this is a little more fun. So uh, put, put your uh, smile cap on, you ready? If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um... That's it. All you get to eat, the whole thing, every day. Oh, God, what a question. Yeah. Uh... What do we do here, baby? Come on. Yeah, okay. So I'll, get, I'll take this. I'll take beef bourguignon, uh, which is something my mother used to make. And then I learned how to make it myself. And I've taught my son how to do it. Um, you know, it, it, it has all the best elements of France, which was, uh, great beefs, great cuts of beef, um, even better in the United States, but also lots of wine poured in lots of butter <laughs> makes <laughs> it really easy to eat, on. whether it's, you know, Sunday dinner or Monday breakfast. There yeah. That, okay. that sounds wonderful. <laughs> great. Some of that. Well, great answer. There you go. Thank you so much. My yeah. pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Paul. And Paul, uh, again, we're we're at the end of the show. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, what what uh what web addresses do you want them to uh, go to? Sure. So I guess the overall pitch is: if you're a leader of an innovative technology company looking to either shed your skin and grow to the next level, your next stage, or looking for strategic guidance, especially in the telco space, or how it might affect your business. Uh, I'd welcome the chance to learn of your challenges, as well as explore how I could help you identify your next opportunities. No obligations. Love to just have a conversation. I can be reached at my LinkedIn profile uh, under Paul R. Rupert, and that's R-U-P-P-E-R-T, or you can email me directly at P. Rupert, P R U P P E R T at G P V L T D dot com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Paul. And uh, I guess that's it for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And a big thank you 
to Paul for the great discussion. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us and providing some uh, amazing insight. Well, it's been, it's been great, Richard. I appreciate it. Thank you, I John. That and... I know your middle name, so I can <laughs> throw that out. Yeah, as you, you've done thorough investigation of my background. Uh, but thank you, John, and thank you, Frederick. It's been a lot of fun, and I uh, very much appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with you and your listeners. Thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Frederick Weiss. And I'm John Roth. Take care. And I'm Paul Rupert. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>